podcast. We got a podcast. Mm. Can somebody pass the mayo? <laughs> and you're listening to it now. We bought a mic. That's the name of the show. We bought a mic. Vitamins. Come to the show. Gayways. Happy President's Day, everybody. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast where every week we talk. Damn it. We talk. No. We talk about just that, how great that theme song is. It's a good one. It really you know, we were, right we were riding. <laughs> we were riding on an older theme song for a while. Mm-hmm. And we brought it back to this classic one, and I'm just, I'm really riding on it. I do think I might make a new one for 2020, though. We should release an album of our theme songs. Yeah. Including, like, the improv ones we used to do back in the day with, like, really lo-fi guitar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The car seat headrest uh, uh, phase of our our lives. It was also kind of front bottomsy at some points. Yeah. I remember that being a little bit of it. Yeah, it, it had all, like, the badness of front bottoms. Um, well, combined with all the goodness of podcasts, yeah. welcome to the show. We have a very special guest back with us uh, here today. It's Daniel Sewane. Hello, he- hello, everybody. Welcome. Who's this guy? Anybody oh, want a peanut? <laughs> are you are you in the four timers club? What is this? Maybe five. I it might be. Is it no the five timers? It might be time to five it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, we're we're doing <laughs> we're doing catch up. This week, everybody talking about the pop culture items that they've been yeah. uh, consuming as of late. And what is your name? I'm Ernest. Okay. <sighs> you guys go ahead. Sometimes I forget. And I'm Skimbleshanks, the railway cat. <laughs> I'm, I'm back Hunter. at it again. I'm Hunter. <laughs> and I'm Danny, back at it again. Mm-hmm. Danny, the, the cat uh, on the railway train. That was a little delayed. but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and here, yeah, here we are. We finally can do ketchup. Uh, the quality of this ketchup is going to be diluted. It's going to be like that watery film on top of a ketchup because we have not been able to do ketchup for several months. So there's blockage in no. the bottle. Well, yeah, that, that's what I was about it, to it say. It has it's... separated. The, yeah, the contents have separated. We're left with just the vinegary fart of oh, liquid. You're going to have to... Yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's what today's ketchup gonna is going to be. It's going to sploge out really hard and it's, it's going to be like way more than you intended. Like you just wanted a little drizzle but you just had to really force it out of the bottle, and now it's yeah. just everywhere. And then you're, you're stuck with, like, two options. You can either, like, put way too much ketchup on your food and just kind of have a bad time with it, or you can, like, try and scrape the ketchup off yeah, and then just waste it all. Because we didn't... we didn't and you don't want to... Not somebody who likes to waste things. We so. didn't squirt any ketchup in December or January. So we are just, like, I am itching to bust my ketchup. Yeah. Well, and also, Danny has a mystery hot take. That we've been build, building up <laughs> since the last time you, you were on the you, show. <laughs> you told this to us off mic like three months ago that you had yeah. a hot take me and, for us. Me and Danny were... We were like, save it for 2020. I'm, I'm taking... <laughs> I'm on Danny's side here. And yeah, we, we were comparing notes about this months ago. And then we, we had to table it. And we're back full force. It's an argument that you're going to see the two natural sides of it. And you guys will have to violently take the side that you're on just as violently as we take our side. 
and uh, it's gonna get bloody. Yeah, there will be no winner. Everyone will leave not satisfied, including the listeners. We're supposed to record a second episode after this, and it might just never come out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who well, knows? let's jump into ketchup so we can get to that. I'm gonna go through my shit really quick because, judging by this list, there is a ton more following what I have. So, real quick, Mac Miller's posthumous final album came out. Um, I think about a month ago at this point. It's called Circles. This, you know, I'm not I'm not the biggest Mac Miller fan, but this is the one that really grabbed me and was like holy crap this guy is talented so i can't safely say that it's his best because i'm not familiar enough with his catalog yeah and it wasn't really like do you think it was like a finished product i don't know i don't know i i it's a lot of times it's it's difficult with posthumous Uh, no a lot of it was produced posthumously but um particularly because mac was entering a phase of his career where he was singing a lot more yeah um, that's the biggest takeaway well that it's it's a lot easier if when a rapper passes away to just put a beat on their raps because rap doesn't require any you know particular note or melody um but he sang songs so like most of it even if it wasn't produced yet a lot of it is implied in the melodies he's singing exactly and and this thing is just i know that there's like the the whole emotional baggage of him being gone but this thing is just so resonant on on an on a deep emotional level like i just can't help but get fucking goosebumps and and get a little bit choked up when i listen to to this album because you know knowing that this is the last thing he gave us and and hearing the the optimism in his voice and and just this quality of like looking forward to the future and looking forward to his career and life and having this sort of like upbeat swing to all these songs it does have this kind of unintended melancholiness to Mm -hmm. it because he's passed it's so sad well i mean whenever you think about that and compared to the other like most famous uh post-mortem album that came out in the last decade was black star by david bowie but that's a guy who knew that he was going and he wrote this as like a final message as like a farewell to everyone that album but it is really sad. You are right that there is kind of a little sense of hope lining through this. That if anything, it's closer to, unfortunately, another big celebrity death that we had recently, Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. where he had like all these plans for the future and nothing but like bigger and bigger things ahead of him. I mean, Kobe just won an Oscar a couple yeah. of years ago, and it it's so tragic. Yeah, yeah, the, that much potential is taken away. The big single from it is "Good News," which is, I think, the one that's been getting the most airplay. That song is so beautiful, mm-hmm. so heartbreaking. Again, uh, with this this duality to to the the real world implications of it, um, and the the song "Blue World," I think, really showcases what you were saying about like his new sort of track that he was. Uh, trying to go on with singing yeah, and like he, more experimental instrumentation. If if you've seen any videos of live shows he was doing, like like in the probably in the months before he passed, he was it was a lot more rock uh, oriented. Yeah. Like there there's a video of him guitar soloing Hendrix style, like with his teeth. Um, he was just immensely talented. He was he had one of the most constant evolutions of any hip hop artist ever. He was always moving to new things. This is probably my second favorite project of his behind Faces, 
which is one of my favorite mixtapes ever. But like I've said, it's, you know, it's harder to listen to now because it's all about how he's on the verge of death because of drugs. <laughs> um, but he, that's the thing is like, he came out of that, you know, he, this is him like looking to a new phase of his life that never came to fruition because of his tragic death. And it's like, all of that is sort of encapsulated perfectly in, in this final album. And I, I can't help but like really, really be captivated by it. Um, I I don't know if it's gonna be enough to get me to listen to like all of his uh, back stuff that I that I was never into, but um, I don't know. Just talking to like my brother, who is a huge, huge Mac Miller head, and how impacted he was by Mac's death, it just makes me like gravitate so much more to somebody that I never even had a um a appreciation for and with this album it's like damn how much we lost what could have been yeah he was and also more sad is the fact that he was just generally universally like beloved personality wise right not his music he was like he was so uh involved in that in like the hip la scene of like you kind of get introduced to it through like like yeah but still podcasts like that that are in LA. There's this milieu of uh, comedy people and music artists and other types of artists that all have a similar vibe going on. Uh, this is the same scene that uh, Lizzo came out of. She was just like a struggling artist in LA in the same uh, arena, and he was one of the most like hundred percent approval rating from everyone who knew him. He was actually yeah. like that kind of guy, which is really rare. For musicians, they can be really fucking uh, shitty. I love the album. I highly recommend it. It's a great sound. Um, dude was fucking talented. It's Mac Miller Circles. Next up, um, I mean, everybody, not everybody liked him. Did you ever hear about that beef with him and Goldlink? That, oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, he he got into that like recently after his death. Yeah, and he called out Anderson Pac or something, saying that. Uh, Dang was Goldlink's idea or something, and then he's like, "How Goldlink never got the credit for it or something like that." And then Anderson Pock came at came back at him with some heat. Yeah, and he, he like basically everyone was saying, "Fuck Goldlink." Yeah, for I mean minute. the the man's dead. Yeah, like you don't. You what's don't, the point? Yeah, yeah. why are you starting this fire? <laughs> what are you gonna? What's the point? Yeah, of that a, beef? it's that a beef dumb is going move. Nowhere. Really stupid idea to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, Mac Miller's probably feeling really good vibes up in the good place right now um and maybe don't, don't use that was, don't that was, don't do that <laughs> yeah, i don't know about that <laughs> maybe he'll he'll pass hey. the, the test to get into the best place you know what else ended too soon is the good place on nbc <laughs> he's, uh, he's up there with uh bloomberg supporting ted danson mm. and uh what really yeah yeah is that a surprise ted? to you is that a surprise no. to you <laughs> Oh. How could you, Ted? Rich people support rich people. You can't. You can't expect just because he's likable. You know. So what? Probably Kristen Bell, also a Bloomhead. She I don't no. Know. She's, Kristen Bell. She could be a, a Warren. I bet no. Yeah. I bet Warrenite. I bet that her and Dax Shepard would have voted for uh, Kamala Harris had she not yeah. had the worst campaign of all time. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's holding on to Klobuchar. Well, I really hope. Kamala Harris's campaign is having a good time in the good place. <laughs> and you're really trying to make that transition work. Aren't you? I, what do you think he's trying to talk about right now? I don't get it. The good place is in the good place now. It's over. Because it's over. 
Uh, we're not going to get super into it because Drew hasn't finished it yet. But I found the finale to be really nice, really beautiful. Um, again, no details, but you, what do you guys think? Um, so I think I'm... Did you watch this at I'm all? I'm a season off. Chance? Okay. Um, so... I'm the only person who watched it. I think that it wrapped up beautifully, especially because I was not super high on season three. I actually think that was the weakest season. But overall, even just looking at um, part one of this season, which premiered, excuse me, last year, I think that they did a really nice job closing it up. And the hour-long uh, finale really got me. Yeah. I, it, I teared up multiple times during that finale, and I didn't think that this show could still affect me in that way after all this time and it really did and i think that it wrapped up in a beautiful way where it explains just enough but and each not character everything. each character their own little button yeah it's um i mean we'll have to save it uh a discussion for both of these we might have to whenever uh drew catches up <clears throat> Um, I, I have listen, to do, do you a, want me to talk about what I've really been watching? <laughs> I don't want you to talk about uh, The Circle. I, All right. <laughs> um, it's better than the fucking we, <laughs> we might. I don't, I don't think that's Whoa, true. Whoa, let's, um, let's get that hot take on the, on the docket That's here. me and um, Danny's position. <laughs> I, uh, I think that between that and BoJack, that they both wrapped up in such a beautiful way that feels... Very, I mean, they're very different from each other, but their conclusions feel very authentic to the shows themselves. I mean, whenever you think about how rough some of the ending of series was, uh, how rough some of the series ending of series were last year, mm-hmm. um, thinking specifically of the Star Wars saga or Game of Thrones, where even if we do get to an okay place... Th- how we get there is very rushed and uh, mashed together. Yeah. And having two shows that really just feel genuine to their identity as a show while still being satisfying and putting the pieces together was a great time. Yeah. Bojack uh, is one I haven't gotten a chance to finish yet. So we'll definitely talk about that once I, uh, I wrap that one up the other day, I tried to put it on and like, for some reason I forgot in my head, like how heavy Bojack is. And it, I was in a vibe to like wind down and like get ready for bed and like just put something on. And I put on Bojack and I was like, oh, wait, fuck. This I is mean, like uh, really especially, intense. especially the last, I mean, the second half, because Bojack also did the split season thing. Yeah. And the second half is Bojack finally reaping what he sowed throughout the entire series. Yeah. So shit comes up. Like, it's not just like a Heavy. casual throw it on and hear some fun animal puns all the time. There's still plenty of that. but Yeah. It's not the, the main yeah. dish. Um, Horse, horseman? M-A-N-E? What? I, I will you know, say... I got it. See... Yeah. You say you like animal puns in one breath, and the next breath you don't laugh at my. Animal I will pun. say I one other. Oh, thing. horse mane. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. One other thing about BoJack that I will <laughs> throw out there for people, <laughs> for anybody who hasn't gotten around to watching the show, um, it's I think it's the best thing that Netflix has ever done. Um, it's a show that y- better you than Mine Hunter. I think so. I think that overall, it's just more consistent. Uh, mm-hmm. The first season is not the best. I think that that's the weakest season in my opinion. But um, I think that the show gets depression more right than pretty much anything that I've ever seen. Which is funny to say that because it's a cartoon with animals in it. But I, if that 
format was ever something that was holding you back, I highly recommend that you get past that and you will not be disappointed. Bojack, yeah. Uh, I have one last thing. I saw Birds of Prey. This is important. Uh, this is the big movie release. Wait, aren't we talking about Sonic the Hedgehog? Isn't the the that the big review of this week? It just week? happened. Yeah. It, it yeah. should have Nobody been. else saw it? Did you see Sonic? No, I saw Birds of Prey. Um, <laughs> Our hot take thing, is right? actually that Sonic, we believe he is actually a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> release the nightmare human hedgehog cut. Mm-hmm. You fucking cowards. Ben Schwartz. Anyway, release the tapes. It could have been like a cat situation where it could have been like so bad that it was amazing. We talked about it, but apparently it's just yeah. boring. So that's no, I've, he- I've heard it's like I've heard it's all fun. right. The tomato meter is like it's like solid. Do we since when do we go by the tomato? Well, meter no, I mean, critics at large are like they're not saying it's awful. They're just saying it's like an all right, like kids movie, yeah, which is exactly. all that you should expect from a. I want it movie. to be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so birds of prey. Uh, fun time recommend uh better than i expected okay uh not amazing but harley quinn uh margot robbie is great as harley quinn great performance uh the movie feels very sort of heightened cartoony um you know not realistic in the slightest sense not dark and gritty and and brooding we're far removed from that at this point. Guess so, what? These uh, movies better. won't get eleven Oscars. Then, yeah. <laughs> it does not live in a society. Is it better than Suicide Squad? I never saw it. Uh, that's a <laughs> low bar to clear, man. I is it? How would you rank it compared to Shazam? Uh, definitely a, a solid notch below. You are sexist. Oh, okay. is my conclusion. I'm busted. So I yeah. got you. You're going to jail. I, what about Aquaman? Better than Aquaman, for okay. sure. All right. Yeah. All right cool. Well, because Aquaman was like this big, gargantuan mess. Like, it was trying to be this epic thing. Uh, Birds of Prey is like pretty small scale, small stakes. There's no sky beam or anything like that. It feels uh, kind of like this smaller little story here. And for the most part, it just lets... Uh, Margot Robbie kind of cook in this role. She's really, really good in it. It's worth seeing just for her. Um, and it's just a fun time. I think my favorite thing about it is the action sequences. There's really great sort of hand-to-hand combat choreography in several action sequences in this movie. And that really wowed me. And um, it has like a nice color palette to it. It's bright. It's energetic. It's stylized. Um, there's a lot of girl power in it, but it doesn't feel like ham-fisted or or, or sort Is of forced. It, it's not like in Endgame where like there's the shot of, look at the women of yeah. the MCU. Have they ever met each other? Do no. they even know who no. they are? No. But in this one, they take the time to like develop the characters and actually give you some earned moments of of, of girl power. Um, and then there's like this the the Ewan McGregor character. He he's the villain in this thing, and he kind of embodies like toxic masculinity and all that. And uh, it, it's a good performance. He has a lot of fun with it. I have a question. Yeah. Why do you think it did not do well then? Because of the title. They shouldn't have called it Birds that's, of Prey. That's what I was thinking and as they well. T- they tried, changed it. <laughs> they tried to change it last minute to Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. So mm. they're trying to like at the very last minute correct 
Uh, I mean, it's gonna make back its budget. It's the oh, budget definitely. for this thing is under a hundred million. Yeah, and it'll perform internationally. Exactly. So it's not gonna be a failure. I was going to it bring did underperform. Though. I was going to bring up the box office because it is funny, and now I've seen um, things of people kind of showing the. Uh, the like kind of rooted sexism that's in uh, marketing and in press and everything else like that. I saw a thing on Twitter where it was a side by side from like business insider or something like that. And it was uh, Harley Quinn uh, underperforms as it like disappoints at the box office. And it was a side by side of that and Ford versus Ferrari, which was a huge success at the box office. And they had, Ford versus Ferrari cost more and it made less opening weekend than Harley Quinn. So I feel like a little bit of that is kind of the narrative that yeah. the media spins on. And stuff also like the that. higher expectations that are placed on a on superhero a, movie. Well, no, but a, a movie that has a female centric cast and director. Yeah. I mean, that's it's I definitely want to check this out. Um, I've been meaning to get around to it. I I love Margot Robbie. It's a lot of fun. And don't go in expecting Love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, she's awesome I, in it. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't been around as much as we may have thought, you know, at the beginning of last decade. Um, but she's anytime she pops up, she's good. I'm still not selling any. I bought in on her early and I'm not selling any of my stuff. There's a there's a quick uh Quick, quick, quick little roller derby sequence. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm waiting to go with my girlfriend. Yeah. So that she can, my girlfriend who plays a roller derby. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's rated R. So there's pretty intense violence in here. The action was my favorite part about it. I, I think it could have gone a little bit more gory, a little bit more violent. Um, but there is still enough intensity in did there. Did you want? Did you want Harley Quinn to go on like, let's say, like a Letterman-like uh, mm. show and talk about how um, what's wrong with him is that we don't treat mental illness seriously in in this society? What do you get when you cross a sociopathic PhD doctorate woman? with a sociopathic clown man Landry. that indoctrinates her and gives her um um what's it called the um I'm well blanking said. on the very well said <laughs> I'm blanking on the term uh <laughs> Stockholm syndrome mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what do you get a bird of prey yes <laughs> okay we got it hold, yes. it, hold it back hold it back so yeah good movie recommend it uh fun time Hunter, what what you got? Um, well, I already briefly talked about BoJack. Um, really great show, great finale. Um, the other new thing that I've been watching, well, one of the other new things I've been watching is The Outsider on HBO. Um, this was a show that I didn't really have any expectations for whatsoever. I was honestly just like, do I even need to have HBO? Should I just cancel HBO? And How dare you. I started to hear, I, I was a little bit curious about it cause after it got some positive buzz and decided to check it out. Um, it's late stage Stephen King. I believe the book was written in like 2013. And I love Stephen King, read a number of his books, listened to audiobooks even more. Uh, shout out to Audible. Um, We're not getting paid. No free ads. Um, <laughs> but I'm not a fan of late stage Stephen King. Uh, I'm sorry, but I think he was better when he was doing drugs. He wrote his best stuff then at that time. Um, 
But what's interesting about this story is that the actual creator, they're taking a Stephen King property, but it's Richard Price who does more police procedural stuff. He did The Night Of, um, and he's written a number of books. He did uh, Clockers back in 1995, but most of his stuff, I mean, he's mostly just a, a, a writer of kind of crime fiction novels. And it's the show is this perfect blend of a procedural crime drama with supernatural elements. Um, I am the see, episode seven just came out last night and I haven't had a chance to watch that yet, but I've been very impressed by this show. I think that this is as far as like new shows that have come on this year. I think this is my favorite show of the year so far. Um, it really, I mean, I think that Ben Mendelsohn is absolutely incredible in here. And Cynthia Erivo um, is doing, she is playing a character that is very easy for it to go badly. Um, she is, she doesn't pop up until episode three and she plays almost this uh, in broad strokes, like a woman who's kind of on the spectrum and has like special abilities to, uh, super analyze situations and everything it's leaning on mystical black woman it it rides mm. that line very closely but i think that the writing does enough and cynthia Rivo's performance carries so much of that that you don't really you aren't really concerned with that element of stuff that it harriet's carry it, it yeah she sings in this too um no, she doesn't sing. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, Jason Bateman pops up in here. He directs yeah, the first brother. two episodes. Um, we like him. I don't want to get into any kind of spoilers because there is some big it's things that happen watching, pretty early right? on. It is. I, not... It's definitely worth watching. Another thing that uh, I think that this show does great is the way that it shifts perspectives. Um it will do it throughout an episode, and I think it is because of Richard Price's writing in these characters, and it's something, it's a piece of source material that you can tell that he cares a lot about, that we can spend half the episode with Ben Mendelsohn's character, and then just like flip over a Cynthia Erivo, and we are immediately in her position. Or we can be with Ben Mendelsohn's wife, uh, who's played by Mayor Winningham. Um, I'm not familiar with any other stuff that she's done. There's a lot of people that I didn't know. Bill Camp is in here uh, for Bill Camp heads out there. Thanks so much. There are dozens of us. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel seen. But uh, yeah, no, I think that it is a oh, great he show. Was, uh, he was in um, The Leftovers, yeah, right? He's in a whole bunch of stuff. Like He just pops up in stuff. He's in Joker, um, unfortunately. Okay. Um, he was in The Night Of. He plays our, our creator, God. In the leftovers, oh, does he? Oh. Well, you have to watch the show to understand. But I, I just, yeah, I but did you really watch it? No, though? I didn't. No, um, no. Um, I was, I wasn't paying attention. It was fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, yes, it's a great show. Definitely, definitely, highly recommend it to people. Um, the, the Outsider, The Outsider on HBO. The next show, wanted to give a shout out to, and I checked it out solely because the restaurant. Are you talking about the restaurant right now? I'm not talking about the <laughs> restaurant. There's a restaurant named Briar Patch? Yeah, so there's yeah. a there's a it's a breakfast restaurant here in town. Really good breakfast restaurant. Oh yeah, I will. I say. gotta check this out. A little out. bit pricey, but it is very good. Shout out to the Briar Patch. Um but this is USA's Briar Patch. We're talking eggs. We're talking bacon. 
Home fries. So the reason why I checked out the show is because of the creator of the show, which is Andy Greenwald, which a lot of people might not know. Andy Greenwald is somebody who stuff I've been reading uh, for probably about a decade at this point, yeah, from going Grantland, back to Grantland days. One of the, I think, most uh, intelligent pop culture critics in the world. Yeah, no, like... Everything I, that, that comes out of this man's mouth is like little sprinkles of gold. He's, like he's no, he, well, yeah, he is sheer brilliant. He does what the best reviewers do, which is even if you disagree with his opinion, like he makes such intelligent... Things that you might not even notice or might not bother you as much, but he is very articulate with the way that he does his criticism. Yeah, and, and succinct. And, yeah, very succinct. And I mean, also shout out to the watch him and uh, Chris Ryan's podcast. Uh, I love listening to them. Been listening to them. Come on the show, boys. Yeah. What are yeah, you doing? Come on here across you can, the you can fucking country. Plug Briar Patch on this podcast. Come on. Um, <laughs> no, but I uh, I checked it out for him alone and i was actually really impressed with the first episode um i know this is something that greenwald has talked about that he's been trying to get made for like about three four years or so at this point he wrote yeah he read the book uh really loved it and then just wrote this pilot and tried to take it around and over the years they developed a friendship with sam esmail who is of course the creator of mr robot and homecoming Mm -hmm. and I think that he was able to kind of use that connection with him to get on to USA. And I am really interested to see where the show goes. I am going to be following it week to week, uh, mostly because Rosario Dawson is, I mean, Rosario Dawson is never bad in anything. She's always great. Uh, Jay Ferguson though. Are you guys familiar with Jay Ferguson? Uh, Look him up. He's, he was in Mad Men. He like kind of pops up in stuff. He's, kind of been a that guy in a bunch of things where you just see him and you're like oh shit it's jay ferguson but he is absolutely incredible kind of almost set up as this like big bad type person he was in twin peaks the return yeah he just like he just pops up and shit um alan cooming is in here uh he played paul bunyan on comedy bang bang yeah he's <laughs> just cool. he is a that guy like he just pops around and everything um it is the setup of the story is that Rosario Dawson's sister gets is a police officer in a little town in Texas, and her car gets blown up. And Rosario Dawson is a private investigator who goes to the town to see what's going on. Um, and then it kind of all kicks off from there. There's a zoo outbreak that happens, so there'll just be like a giraffe just like walking through the streets, or there's a tiger on the loose and stuff, which is something that's not in the book that they added in there, but it does add some real intrigue. Um, definitely gonna be following it. I'll be talking more about it as the season goes along. But Worth checking out? Worth checking out, okay. yeah. Um, I will say the downfalls to it are that it is a television show on USA and therefore there are some like conventional cable isms to it. Then again, I've only seen the first episode. So well, also then again, it's from Sam Esmail. Like there's nothing conventional about Mr. Robot at all. Yeah. But I mean, I still feel like most of USA stuff, I mean, characters welcome. Like they had like burn notes no, and I, shit like that. I remembered <laughs> the, uh, the new slogan that I couldn't remember. Uh, um, Last time I brought this yeah, up. Yeah, drop it on me. Be the bold. Hmm. 
Well, I mean, how are we feeling about that? That sounds like Melania Trump's education <laughs> thing that she's doing. <laughs> it's it means nothing at all. Characters welcome I, was characters awesome. welcome was great. I love that. Bring that back. Um, yeah, Briar Patch, good show. Uh, check it out. Um, and then finally, uh, I'm gonna open up. I'm gonna dust off the uh, the old box here and bust out a pending title. Um, title has been in development for the last three years, but Hunter's Game Corner. Wow. Oh, it's your oh, it's your corner. Nobody else is welcome here, huh? No, no characters. No characters are welcome in this corner. Uh, no, up. it's uh, a game game gallery. Mm, mm, no, nope. Okay, well, you, you could do better. Like I said, we've been <laughs> workshopping it for years. Um, over the last two months, how about, while we've how just about, been doing lists and not talking about things, I had a chance oh to play through the new Star Wars game, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It came out last year. Great game. Really, really great game. Um, I There are a couple of nitpicks that I have with it. Uh, like The graphics, for some reason, aren't the best, which maybe I've just played so much God of War and Red Dead that I've become desensitized, but... You can't skin a deer moments, in this game? There are moments... No, you do brutalize some people with a fucking lightsaber, okay. though, which is pretty dope. Um, but there are some moments where it kind of looks closer to a PS3 game than a PS4 game, which is... I it, They just go for a little bit more of a cartoony look, which I don't necessarily mind. I'm not somebody who plays games solely for how they look. It's more about how it plays and it plays amazing. Like especially as you get better at the game and you get better with the mechanics and you just start mowing through dudes with like a dual-sided lightsaber. Is, and there, just a, really... is there a story mode in this? Oh, it's all story mode. Okay. It's it's entirely a story mode okay. game. It really is Which like is what if... we needed from a Star Wars game. The way that I would describe it is that it is Star Wars it's uncharted with a Star Wars skin on top of it. With some of the fighting aspects, I mean, of course, this is about like a thousand times easier than it, but especially early on when you don't, you aren't very good at the game. Uh, and also, I play it on a little bit higher difficulty. Uh, it's wow, kind of closer guys, to the. We yeah, got a badass. Cool oh, um, we got a Jedi. But <laughs> I. Uh, it the some of the combats whenever you're in some one on one is kind of reminiscent of Dark Souls type things. Of course, this is much easier game than that, but yeah. a lot of like dodging and then kind of working on timing and stuff like that. Yeah. But as you get better at the game, you'll kind of level up your abilities, and also you can get more used to the patterns in which people are coming at you, like Dark Souls, and be better at fucking them up. Um, so but, there's there's no there's no multiplayer mode at all. No. Wow, that's because the people that made this game, Respawn Entertainment, made Titanfall 1 and 2, Apex Legends, and then this. Damn. So it's like they made a bunch huh. of multiplayer games and then jumped right they, in. With, like, they no probably, story mode. They probably really wanted to to flex their, like, story Well, then they should stick to story mode. <laughs> I mean, the story in this game is really good. It all takes place... Uh, like a few years before Rogue One, there is a couple of um, a couple of cameos, including by our boy Saw Gerrera. Is yeah. in Drew's this game. brain is melting. I know out of Drew, his your ears favorite. Right now. You, I, <laughs> this is uh, Drew is so captivated. He's taking notes on what I'm saying right now. Yeah, I just had to look up video game <laughs> <laughs> publishers. No, EA. I mean, I will. I think that this is like 
It's Star not Wars created is... by EA though. Yeah, but they, they just publish it, I think. Yeah. yeah, but the problem with Battlefront is that it was developed by EA. Yeah. That's why So it... Respawn developed it and then EA is just publishing it. Well, because well, EA, EA bought has... the rights. EA has the rights to all Lucas oh, Lucas Arts products. Smart move. So they have to put the fucking logo on it. Um but I yeah, have a it's... I have a question though. Um how does this compare to the Force Unleashed? So I personally think it's better than The Force Unleashed. Interesting. Um, okay. I never got super into those games. I fucking loved The Force um, Unleashed. What about Force Unleashed 2? They're the same in my head. I okay. don't know. I never played the second one. I I think that the first one, it, it's kind of like... This game involves like a little bit more. It, the world is a little bit bigger for you to explore and stuff. Where Force mm-hmm. Unleashed is more focused just on the combat and just yeah. like mowing the dudes Force down. Unleashed. That's what it was all about. I mean, the crazy you are ass like, force powers. And you are like bad, big bad. In that yeah. like <laughs> Vader's like apprentice, pretty much in that game. So, um, this is definitely. I mean, you are you play this guy Cal, who is great. I will say, um, incredible droid in this game. BB One might be like one of the top tier droids in the Star Wars universe. Drew is so into everything that I'm saying right now. Man, I'm just trying to think of my top 100 droids in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> you know, I have the top 50 I, down, but I know. That. Look, look, I know, I know you hate Star Wars. I know that you are out on the franchise, but I do will say, like, the games are generally, for the most part, the games are great. Well, like, I that's think one the, thing. The that, all-time best Star Wars game are the Lego the Lego Star Wars games. Lego Star Wars games are amazing. I don't know if that's the best. I would probably say like Knights of the Old Republic, but (laughs) or the old Battlefronts. Yeah, the old the OG Battlefront is where it's Battlefronts and then Knights of the Old Republic. But I do think that this is probably a top five Star Wars game that I've ever played. And when you're talking about this is like they've produced like 40 games. So that is saying a lot. Uh, I wish it was a little bit longer. Uh Another little nitpick, the minimap is absolutely horrendous. It is truly like the worst minimap that I've ever used in a game, and I hated that. And sometimes there are moments where you're just like, uh, where the fuck do I go now? Because every time that you save, all the enemies respawn. What you do is so you run like, you run I'm against doing. every wall that you can. You just run straight into the wall, and you hope that the game will glitch well, out, and you'll fall through the map. There, It's funny you say that, because have you ever played Uncharted, and you're like, I don't know where to go <laughs> here, and then you're like just running around, and you're like, there is no walls, and there's just like a little crevice. And you're like, how the fuck was I supposed to see yeah. that? Just like I have to crawl, like shimmy my way through a crevice. Um, fun game, though. Uh, Jedi. Definitely check it out. Jedi Fallen All right, Order. Drew, what's your favorite Star Wars game? Mm. Oh, N- Knights of the Clone Wars Two. That's a good that's one. a great yeah. one, man. Yeah. On um, Nintendo DS. <laughs> so, Medical Police is a series. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I have been excited since this was announced, which wasn't. Uh, that far ahead of when it was released on Netflix with, you know, no no show about it, really. Um, they just dropped it. It's a comedy series. It is in the same universe as Children's Hospital and stars the same people that are in Children's Hospital from Adult Swim, which has been quietly one of the most consistently funny shows on TV for like six years or something like yeah, that. I think it's seven seasons. Yeah, it's a David Wayne property, so you know what you're getting going in. Uh, it's not adulterated like some of the other stuff he's made. It is pure, uh, absurdist, like silly slapstick comedy, uh, which 
I am deeply, I want to turn this into a bigger conversation about how deeply sad it is that this is just not profitable in any way. And people just don't like it anymore. Well, I mean, like you told me that this was out on Netflix. I was excited for this. And I even realized that it dropped because just nobody said anything about it. People do not like absurdist comedy anymore, especially when it stars real people for some reason. Like they see it as a cartoon thing. Like it just can't be done. Uh, recently I've been going back through all the classic Zucker Abrams Zucker movies, the, the naked gun movies and airplane. So that's when it was a thing. Cause yeah. you're saying it's not a thing well, anymore. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm that was decades ago. because this show is incredible. It's serialized, uh, absurdist, silly. It's very naked gun. And it's these two doctors who are like, you know, thrust into this insane situation of being like uh, secret operatives. And it's just like full on stupid, funny, uh, that that was very profitable like the naked gun made a ton of money airplane made a shitload of money uh and airplane is still maybe pound for pound like the funniest movie ever made and for some reason it just died and so david wayne's career arc he made his wet hot which is his entry into that canon and then to quote unquote hit it big and make a profitable movie he had to make role models which is not a bad movie but it's not a david wayne movie he, he directed it and he included all of his, you know, classic cast in it. But it, that's a Judd Apatow, like Todd Phillips movie. That is not absurdist humor. I, I think that Role Models is better than the Hangover movies, to, um, to be fair. I, well, no, I but it's that entire style is based off of like yeah. old school, though. Like Todd Phillips did invent not the best avenue of comedy movies, but he was very influential. Uh, but that's and then he made Wanderlust, which is way Apatowian and not that great. And it, even though it includes all those same people, but this is what he should have been making all this fucking time. This style, because this could be a movie. Like I said, it's serialized. It's one gigantic, stupid journey with a million little stops in it. It's so funny. It's it is. So f- it's so good. Yeah. I like. I mean, I watched a little bit of Children's Hospital. I didn't get super into it, but if you enjoy absurdist even if you're not familiar like super familiar with david wayne but any kind of like alt comedy this is just it's so good and the cameos that are in here because david wayne is like in with so many top tier comedians because they all comedians appreciate this type of stuff um they love it and i think that it it does i mean there are some points where like I almost wish that this was less serialized because uh, there are some moments where there's like, all right, well, we have to get on with the plot. And they do play with that whole idea a lot. But uh, overall, I mean, I thought that this show was yeah, really it's just, great. It's full throttle, like, insanity. It's so stupid. And so, uh, like, the scale of things is so massive, especially compared to Children's Hospital, which takes place notably entirely inside the hospital. So in the pilot episode of this show... They are in the hospital, and then Rob Corddry and uh, what, what's the lead girl's name? Uh, She's Aaron so Hayes. Good. Aaron Hayes. They leave the hospital, and they're like in Brazil. Like, just they're like, yeah, no, the whole time this has been in Brazil. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all of Children's Hospital, yep, that took place in Brazil, and we're in Brazil. A lot of, and like, they keep saying, like, yeah, Brazil. Yeah, that, this is Brazil. That's where we are. We're English doctors yeah. in Brazil. Which is like a very David Wayne parody thing. Like, you know, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's, you know, like <laughs> exposition stuff. Um, it's New Year's. It's yeah, New if you like Wet Hot, if you like They Came Together, this is like this is that type of shit. And like I said, if you like Zucker, Abram Zucker shit, if you like the Naked Gun movies, this is especially that type of shit. I also, I think that this is, for a lot of people, this is more accessible than even something like Wet Hot because it does still have procedural elements to it, but then they like 
they turn it into a farce. So even if you're not somebody who like has ever seen Wet Hot or anything, I don't think this is a bad entrance into the David Wayne oeuvre. Yeah. So I think the whole point about this not being a thing anymore, I think that the Netflix piece is key because yes, it's not a thing anymore, but medical police wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for Netflix. No. Like they wouldn't even gotten the chance to make this in the first place. They would have just been dead in the water. Well, similarly, so, Netflix revived wet hot. That's why it's yeah. on. That's the reason it's on Netflix. It's all of the same people. Totally. Like true. the whole, the whole writing staff is the people who wrote for that show. Um, Does it feel like it has a big budget? It, it, or is it kind of like it scraps? feels bigger budget than you would think? Well, definitely. They, they play with that a lot though, because there's like a moment where uh, they're supposed to be in China, they're supposed to be in Shanghai, and they're very clearly in like LA and like the little China district. And they're like, <laughs> Yeah, Shanghai, that's where we are right now. Yeah, and it like pans over and you see like just like a parking yeah. garage. But I was like supremely impressed by the scale of the show for how stupid it is. Like, it drives the parody home if it's uh. You can tell that they put effort into it, and they did at a lot of points. They every episode is in like a different country almost. Yeah. It's it's really insane. The plot hinges around uh, Rob Corddry and Aaron Hayes trying to track down someone who is three D printing a virus that <laughs> is killing everybody on Earth. <laughs> it's it's fucking hilarious. And then along the way in their journey, they slowly uh, over the course of it encounter almost everyone on the children's hospital cast. Like they just run into Rob Corddry in a prison. He's like, yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> like it, it's, it's so silly. I love Rob Hubel. I'm happy he has a vehicle um, for him. Aaron Hayes seems like someone who could have been famous, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, well, I'm not sure how old she is or anything like that, but she is great. And she's like charming too. Mm, like the chemistry that her and Rob have in that show is really, it, it's actually real. Like it's not yeah. a, here's an, another question. Thing. Is this the medium? The, is this the platform? This show? I I never saw Children's Hospital, so maybe I'm being ignorant here. But is this the platform where Wayne and Co can delve into like genre parody type yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's a like, lot of genre like parody. Harmon type. I mean, community type shit. The reason I was stoked about it is because you hear the name Medical Police and you immediately get it. Like it's it's yeah. like those shows that are like somehow a weird mix, like Chicago Fire. It's about firefighters, but there's like murders or something like. <laughs> You know, it's, it's it's all those shitty newer procedurals that are trying to find a twist. This is exactly that. They are completely unqualified, and they just basically, like, are forced to, like, travel the world to hunt down these people, and they're just doctors. <laughs> and they're not good doctors. At but that. I would, I would <laughs> they're love, awful doctors. I would love to see Wayne, like, take on parodies of, I don't know, like, Mr. Robot or something. Like, this, I feel like something like this could be the platform for, this for is, making fun of like well, a and ton of TV. Your other question, I or the other thing that you asked, I think that Netflix is kind of the perfect the perfect place for him. Is that he can just like just direct like a few hours of a television show and then just like drop it all at once. Yeah, it's and I well, think what it if, plays better watching like multiple episodes in a row. Well, because yeah, it's only the ridiculous nature of it. It's all. only ten like twenty something minute episodes. Yeah. So you're looking at like yeah. maybe five hours tops. It's just it's it just makes me sad more than anything. Like I said, like support silly comedy. It has to exist in the world. Like it's so I hate that. Like I think there's a place for every type of comedy, but I don't like that Apatow style. Like 
like the show Love, for example, Paul Rust is way better suited to play an absurdist role. That's yeah. his type of comedy. But he wanted to get a show made, and to get it made, it had to be like like a more, cringe more comedy. Down Same with Julian Flynn too. It's just yeah, it just doesn't need to be like what. That. A, what about them uh, doing like an anthology type thing? That'd or it's great. like you get one season of Medical Police and then another season of something completely no, I different. No, I want David Wayne to do anything as long as it's absurdist. Because here's the thing. He's also not like this is OK, but he made uh, a futile and stupid gesture. The the uh, Harvard right. Lampoon movie, which is based on a book that I loved and I was so stoked for it. And it's not a good movie. It's it's pretty bad. Uh and that's okay. He's not good at making that type of movie, but he's the best person we have right now in the world at making uh, absurdist comedy and genre parody. And why can't we just let him do that? It pisses me off to no end. Uh, we got to move on, but I, I recommend it. It's not for everyone. Clearly, a lot of people just do like it has low ratings on like IMDb or whatever. People don't like absurdist comedy. People, a lot of people are going to watch and be like, this is stupid, like flat out because it is stupid and they're missing the point. That's yeah. the, the point is that it's stupid. Um, anyway, what what else has been going on with me? I'm not going to talk about Netflix as the circle. Um, we'll save a whole. <laughs> Damn it. I was I'll, excited. I'll, I'm going to save a couple hours. I guess I have to binge it later. so we can get in a deep talk about it. <laughs> I'll talk about some things I've been listening. Uh, the Bachelor. To, Yes, the no. Bachelor podcast. I, I gave up on this season. Pilot Peter. Is Can we so talk bland. about the the Bachelor uh, trailer uh, ad that dropped during the Oscars? No, that was the I most didn't. insane shit. It was like a. Um, have you guys ever seen the movie Ghost? It's an no. old old yeah. movie. Yeah. Where uh, Patrick Swayze's like making ceramic things behind. I watched the Oscars with you, and I have no recollection of this. Yeah, it was an. Ad. I might have been like six whiskey. Sours well, Ernie was like though, watching so the I, commercials. Yeah. Like I was. I, was yeah, I don't watch the awards. I only watch the commercials. Yeah. So big movie fan. They, <laughs> they they have this guy like making this ceramic pot. And then, like, hands start coming up behind him, and it's, like, a female hands. And then, like, more hands, and more hands, and more, more, more hands. And then he's, like, surrounded by female hands coming up behind him. And then it was just, like, The Bachelor. Hmm. That's, like, scary. (laughs) That sounds like a horror thing. Anyway. (laughs) Um, You guys familiar with Gil Scott Heron? No. He is a very influential, but, like, largely unheralded jazz guy he he's the guy who had the song way back in the 70s where he kept saying the revolution will not be televised oh, okay he's that I thought guy you're about to do a uh tim heidecker i think you should leave not bit right here <laughs> basically can I, can I get my nutcracker so basically the deal with him though is that he uh he released that he was very influential he kind of helped invent rap because he did poetry over beats uh, he and then he encountered a lot of troubles. Didn't get a ton of money out of his music. Uh, got into drugs. Spent a lot of time in jail. Got out. And then in 2010, this uh, the guy who founded XL Records, his name is Richard Russell, contacted him and was like, "I want to make an album with you. Like, I think you like Ooh. you're incredible." Uh, this is in 2010. So they make this album. It's called uh, "I'm Still Here," and it's pretty good. It's not incredible. Um, but it's just great that he's like back on tracks and his voice has gotten like so different now. Like he can hardly sing anymore. There's a lot of like spoken word. He has this really, really great like depth to his voice, but it's really not his album necessarily. Like he admitted, he was like, yeah, I didn't, I don't have any gas in the tank anymore. Like I just let this guy kind of like cook and like tell me what to do, but they recorded just a ton of audio of him just like speaking offhand or like reading poetry and stuff like that. 
So in 2011, Jamie XX of the XX uh, put out his remixed version of this album where he put it over, you know, XX style, like way more modern, like some hip hop inspired, some dancey inspired beats. It's very cool, but it doesn't ring genuine to Gil Scott Heron's like discography. So enter 2020, Micaiah McCraven. Micaiah McCraven is a uh, avant-garde jazz, like multi-instrumentalist genius uh, producer. He's He has uh, hands in a lot of pots in jazz currently. He took it and made it into a new album. It's the second remixed version of this 2010 album. And this is like it. This is incredible um, because it is like it makes sense logically. He He's uh, more than anything a drummer and the drums on this album are just like fucking all over the place crazy. Uh, he, he makes great use of like the themes of what Gil talks about, like a lot of like death, a lot of like family, a lot of identity things. Uh, and he, he's recontextualizing it by like mixing like snippets of him talking, singing, uh, poetry with like original instrumentation and then a lot of samples cause he's involved in hip hop too. Some of the samples he uses are by his own parents cause they're both, uh, musicians so it, it like kind of plays into what Gil is talking about in some of the audio in a cool way. Uh, it's just, it's super cohesive. It's really abstract and like, you know, kind of out there in a way that I don't, sometimes I don't enjoy that type of shit, but this is a really, really killer album. So what, what do I have to search? Cause I searched we're new here and I got the 2011 release, hmm. um, with that's <laughs> Jamie XX. Maybe. So there, there's a there's we're a new, it's one? I it's called we're new again we're new again okay yeah. and uh, if you rewind the tape don't do that but okay. I'm gonna claim that I said that I didn't say that it's called we're new again uh, it's really really fucking good shit also listen to Gil Scott Heron's old st- stuff like he he's passed on by now but uh, his original albums you can hear their influence just all over I'm everywhere. I'm a big uh, well I, I shouldn't say big but I am a fan of of Richard Russell I had his uh everything's recorded album on my top 10 of yeah. Uh, 2018 yeah he's like kind of like an impresario that just like puts artists yeah. together which is what that album is it's like yeah. this like collaborative compilation thing so yeah, uh, we're so, new again. Cool. Yeah, that and then diving into that led me to his old work, which led me into a different band. We were off pod. We were talking about um, uh, what are they called? The uh, cheddar it, cheese. Yeah, yeah. We were eating some killer cheese. I'm like shaking right now off that cheddar, bro. <laughs> it was good. Off the cheddar, baby. Krongbin <laughs> is who I'm thinking. Oh, Krongbin. Of. We were yeah. talking about Krongbin, who I'm a huge fan of. Probably talked about him before on Pod. Uh, but Every chance we get to shout them yeah. out. I found a group though, because they're very openly inspired by a lot of like '70s funky stuff. This band, there's no consensus on how to pronounce this. I think it's Simande. Yeah, I think it's the Simande as well. Yeah. C Y M A N D E. Are you familiar? C Monday. Yeah. Aren't they like a like a jammy rock? Jammy rock. They're one of again extremely unheralded. Uh, they they were one of the first bands to mix together a ton of genres that you know like they mix together funk, rock, soul, reggae, a ton of like all of that stuff encapsulated into one sound. Uh, it's it's a a band of black artists. And one of the most interesting things I found out is that they're British, which probably plays into why they don't get enough credit because there wasn't a huge scene for this in, in England in the 70s. It was all American. Uh, another reason Is this like a television situation right now? <laughs> it's it's kind of different from that. Um, 
but yeah, sure, why not? I um, mean, I mean, I feel like television didn't get their the right due in their time. No, but they did come out of a scene that were like anyone in that scene knew who they were at okay. least. Uh, but these guys, this album, you can hear so much Krongbin in them. You can, I mean, you can hear so much of like what happened in the later seventies in them as well. But their their first album is from nineteen seventy two. It's self titled and it's just killer front to back. Great to listen to like background music if you're doing anything. Adds a little funk to your day. Like I said, a lot of just instrumental. There are lyrics in I think most every song, but like they're not the focus. It's about uh, you know we're combining like bongos with real real drums with like jammy guitars just in the way that Krongbin does. It's it's really cool shit. We need we need more uh, instrumental music that isn't heavy electronic dubstep type shit. Yeah, we absolutely. need more instrumental shit that's more laid back. Well, mm. cool uh, cool beats to study and relax to. There's yeah, lo fi lo-fi hip hop beats. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no, I'm not. I'm not even joking. There are because those YouTube. Uh, yeah, the girl with the yeah, little cartoon girl. Yeah, if anyone has just like seen the memes of that, that's <laughs> not a video that just plays an hour of songs. It's an endless stream. It's like a yeah. radio station that just plays like whatever's new in that genre. And there's so much to that genre. That's that's a cool little genre. Anyway, uh, the last thing I want to plug hard is Vulture. Uh, one of my favorite online publications published the 100 best emo songs of all time. Uh, this is a list that is curated and the essays in it, like the larger essays at the beginning and end are written by Ian Cohen, who is best known as uh, Pitchfork's emo guy. Uh, back in the day, he was like on the verge. He was essentially their uh, premier critic that they had. Like he was very influential in the, in the field of uh, modern music writing online. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, Pitchfork stopped going emo. Like it's Pitchfork covers all music now. Particularly, they, you know, their focus is covering what's cool and what's cool is hip hop. They don't do all music. No, no I mean, way. of course not. But they they have spread their wings past like underground rock music, which is yeah. where they started. Uh, so he still writes there, but he's just not like the guy anymore. Uh, however, this is like, this is like his opus to me. Cause he's a really, really great writer, whether or not you agree with him, which I don't hardly ever. Um, he's an incredible writer and this list, I've spent probably two hours diving into every single song on and band on this list because Cohen is, he, it's not like a, a list of like the best pop punk songs ever. Pop punk is one tentacle of the the genre of emo which started in the early 80s mm -hmm. um and has its roots in being like lo-fi and more underground when ian cohen is like the historian on the genre like he's been there from the jump covering it uh so it's just fucking fascinating to read what he has to say that i was introduced to so many bands that i had either i'd taken like a passing look at uh or i just completely never heard of there's tons of songs that i do not like at all on this list like there are things that are just a little too hard a little too lo-fi for me well um, i mean especially there's a lot of stuff from like early 90s yeah and the, 80s like that's even. yeah like 80s or very early 90s that's pretty much it's like the very beginning of the emo genre out of the punk genre yeah um I will say, uh, Coheed's too low on the list. Um, I I want Coheed at eighty five should have been at like number one, but that's okay. Mm. I um, want I want Mr. Cohen to explain himself why Front Bottoms is not on this list that's at all. Okay. Um, I will. I did want to give not one big one shout slot. out. The thing that actually made me look through this whole list is because I went up to the top 
and I saw two Sunny Day Real Estate songs yep. in the top 11, which Sunny Day Real Estate is like one of the godfathers of emo music. I absolutely love Sunny Day Real Estate, specifically uh, In Circles. Their album is yeah. a masterpiece. It came out in 94, and you listen to that, and you're like, oh, so this is what every other band was trying to do that came yeah, around. Yeah, it's the basically the emo, the emo counterpart to Nevermind by Nirvana. Like yeah. It has a lot of grunge feel to it, but it's a lot more openly emotional, kind of melodic. Uh, it's, it's, you learn such an immense amount about music itself reading, uh, what Cohen's written here, especially there's like a really lengthy sort of essay that preludes the entire uh, list and it's just great to read. Like you, well, he explains why brand new's not on the list, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, that y you absolutely get the feel that they would have a couple of spots on this list. Uh, at least like maybe one or two. I mean, Taking Back Sunday as two and like the two top in the top twenty five. I was very 25. I was really excited for that, um, especially because "Cute Without the E" is my favorite song by them, and that that got way up. On and uh, here's, um, here's a question: Decade Under the Influence, Fall Out Boy, Sugar, We're Going Down at number thirty five. Too mm -hmm. low or too high? So personally. That would not be the Fallout Boy song that I would have on my list, but as far as like mass appeal, it's the same thing for having Helena in the top ten. Like that's, that's not my. That's a ballsy move. That's I would not my say. favorite My Chemical Romance song, but that's such a huge emo song that like got mass radio play. Sugar, we're going down. Still plays on like pop stations. Like that is for it to be for an emo song that is so emo post punk rock at its core to like break through in that kind of way in a pop scene is is i mean it's something that you have to recognize yeah. and you yeah you learn a, a lot about you know if you learn anything about early fallout boy pete wentz was just obsessed with becoming the biggest band in the world uh which you know you you respect the hustle uh you will remember him for centuries Aww. How do we feel about uh, multiple songs by Dashboard Confessional on here? I mean, you can't make a, an emo list without you Dashboard being dashboard all over it. That's just that's not negotiable. Wait, also, but we didn't even talk about number one. Yeah, I was just about to say. Hell yes, I'm so excited that this made. I would not have expected number one, but American Football is never meant well deserved. It's I gotta a, say, it's a great song. I mean, American Football is another one. I, they came out. This song came out in '99. And you listen to it, and you're like, "What is this? Like a 2011 or something yeah, like that?" It's like, yeah, it has that post rock sort of feel, like that almost mathematical, but a little more mellowed out, a little more sad. Especially, I mean, America, like there would be no brand new without American yeah. football. I mean, that album is so influential to everything that came mm -hmm. in the yeah. 2000s. Yeah, it's just it's immense. Like it's just it's like a little mini book about music and i i really respect it i'm i'm a huge fan of just like music journalism in general and this uh to me is an opus of its of its type we'll uh we'll link the um the little what's it called spotify playlist in the the show did they make a spotify playlist yeah fuck. of all the songs i made one <laughs> it's right there for you at the bottom at the top Made by it's Drew Dietz at the bottom at the top. <laughs> well, mine. You should follow mine on Spotify. It's the same one, but by me. I thought you you left Spotify. Um, I ended up returning and biting the bullet and paying more money. <laughs> Had to do it. Spotify is better. Sorry. Um, uh, wait one one last one. Uh, My Chemical Romance. Um, I'm not okay. Number forty five. Too low or too high? Um. I don't. I don't know. This list kind of seems like it's a mixture of songs that 
are really deep cuts and then all of a sudden it just jumps in with like the banger that like yeah. the really popular emo band jumped in. How I mean, how do we think like did the entire staff at Vulture vote on no this way. list? No, or, the like no. is it just like these five people who are credited? Yeah, absolutely. Because Vulture is uh it music is like maybe the fourth biggest thing they even do. Yeah. Like this was this was the baby of Cohen and then yeah, there was a, certainly a voting system with the other. I've people. learned I mean, and people should probably take the same advice when listening to our podcast that uh, I care less about the ordering of the list than I do about the contents of the list. Yeah, itself. just take it as an opportunity to learn because so many bands on here I do not, I actively don't like after listening to them. But there are so many diamonds in the rough that I found. Bands that I had given a passing look at, like Lost Campus, I didn't even Campus, see this. Knows. Hop Along is on here in the top yeah, 10. Tibetan Pop Stars, yeah. one of my favorite great songs song. of the great, last decade. Great song. It's an incredible song. Uh, and correctly identified as emo, even though it doesn't sound like hardly mm -hmm. anything else on the list. So it, it's just a really good list. I'm a fan of it. All right, Danny. That's all. Hit all us right. with what you got. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be really quick with my catch up. Not nothing too crazy. It'll be a lot faster than all of yours. That's for sure. <laughs> Jesus, God. Smoke you kids. You come to my podcast <laughs> on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've been watching the new Curb season ten. It's pretty good. If you're a Curb fan, Seinfeld fan at all, you should definitely give that a chance. Our it, president's definitely a fan. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> did you see the thing that he totally just missed the bar of like what the joke was? <laughs> you love to see it. Oh, the Man. the MAGA hat one. Yeah, about yeah somebody wearing a MAGA hat and Trump's just like, yeah, tough men for what Trump. <laughs> yeah, tough guys tough, for Trump. Tough guys for Trump. It's like that's not. The yeah. Point. Well, have you seen the episode you totally where he does it, it at all? I haven't seen it. So no. essentially he wears the hat so he gets people to stop bothering him in California. <laughs> so like he'll wear it. He'll be sitting at a restaurant and someone tries to sit next to him and then he'll just put on the hat and then everybody leaves. <laughs> yeah. So then like there was an interview where uh, somebody was asking him like, how do you feel about, you know, people getting offended about, you know, that you're like alienating them and making fun of them. And he goes, alienate yourselves i don't give a fuck <laughs> i love larry david but yeah no it's a good season it's about four episodes in i think yesterday was episode five so you're you've seen like all of curb yeah 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 no it's, so this was a big deal at coming back because oh, it was yeah. like five years gone yeah it's like been that. a hot minute so once it came back i was super excited damn hell um, yeah so yeah, def HBO. definitely watch that uh i've been watching this show meat eater on netflix i don't know if you guys watched it if you're a vegan, definitely not for you. But <laughs> it's this uh it's this hunter. He's like a I'll call him a super hunter cuz that's what he is. And he's he has like Thank guests you. like uh <laughs> He has it's like one word, meat eater. Yeah, meat eater. And he has uh he has like guys like Joe Rogan on some of the episodes and he basically just teaches you the intricacies of actually hunting like specific animals and like sometimes he fails, sometimes he's really good at it. It was just a random show me and my girlfriend found where we were hungover. And, uh, you know what I'm a big fan of is River Monsters, which, similar vibe. You ever see that? It's <laughs> no. just a guy fishing for like the biggest fish in the world. <laughs> British old guy. Big yeah. fan of that. <laughs> but anyway, that's another fun watch if you just want like mindless, you know, because he teaches you how to cook it too. And like he goes to different areas and like definitely places he's very uncomfortable in being, which is very cool to watch, especially someone who is always out in nature like one episode he goes to south america and he's just like i don't know what to do here because these guys have such very different <laughs> deep hunting. in the jungle yeah what like do they hunt 
Well, there's an in, in in that episode they hunt a monkey and he <gasps> and he's he, he's like this is so close to eating a human that it's oh terrifying. Yeah, so it's just he's how just is like, it? Well, is well it he said he said it was like weird to eat because it was like. <laughs> You know, he didn't understand it, but like they literally just roasted it, and, like barely any salt. They just washed it, and oh, that, that literally it. just yeah. makes me think of the episode of "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia," where they get a tapeworm and they think that they ate human meat. Yeah, and they're just like, "We gotta just Great try a bunch of weird episode. meats <laughs> to just see what this meat was." So, was this just recommended to you by the algorithm? Yeah, it was, like, it was recommended by the algorithm. We this. decided to watch it, and we just didn't know hunting was like an actual. I always thought hunting was just like you know people wanting to shoot guns and eat. You know, deer. You yeah, know? that's what it is where I'm from. I was baby. gonna say I, that's my family in South Georgia. Is this that. guy, and a lot of just sitting for hours. Yeah, he respects the game, and he's he spends days out there, you know, hunting a specific Tracking. animal. Yeah. And so like, do you do you watch a lot of nonfiction shit on Netflix? I watch a good amount of documentary yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, you get... that's probably what ended up happening. But definitely worth it if you want some mindless stuff and like learn a little bit more about hunting. I mean, I'm personally not a hunter, obviously. I mean, you are a hunter. Living in <laughs> metropolitan Orlando isn't the best place for that. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely, I, I've been enjoying it. Stick around for our Patreon listeners only. Hunting with Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just me just loudly podcasting solo in a booth and scaring away all the animals near me. <laughs> Uh, so two more things before I get into my hot take. The new Bombay Bicycle Club album. I it's a good one. Really, I'm good album. obsessed with you it. You urged us yeah. at, during your birthday party that we had to listen. You to had it. to. I was a little drunk, but <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to dubstep. <laughs> I've been on record about this. <laughs> I mean, this is a great. Not. This is a great album. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, Jack Studman's been doing it for a hot minute, and if this album's a little bit more like produced and like electronicy. But if you want to get into any Jack Steadman, you should definitely listen to his first album that he spent like five years producing. It's called I Had the Blues, But I Shook Them Loose. Nice. And that is an abs. That's my favorite album by them. But this album is amazing as well. He had I love the opening track on here, Get Up. Oh, it's yeah. Just, it's just, I listen to it. I listen to it like on my way to work for the first time. And I was just like, it's like seven in the morning. The sun's barely like rising above oh, yeah. and just listen to that. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to start my day now. For sure. No, it was a good fun. Listen. Uh, some of it was like a little emotional f for a hot second. And I, I kind of enjoyed it when you can like really feel what they're saying. He does a really good job portraying his emotions on this album. Um, but definitely a good listen. If you guys so have this time. is album number si five, six, one, two, three, yeah. four, five, six. Yeah. If you want to count his side project, Mr. Jukes, yeah, it would be seven then, right? Yeah. Mr. Jukes had a song on like a Google Pixel commercial, actually, which I was very surprised. Oh, but wow. Jack Studman's a, a like really good producer, and this is a very clean album. It, I It was awesome. It's called um, Everything Else Has Gone Wrong. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, I really like, um, let me see if I can find a, couple tracks that i want to shout out um i worry about you it's like kind of this really poppy kind of sing-alongy uh track that sort of gets in your ear uh eat sleep wake sounds a little awesome. bit more out there a little bit more mm. experimental but still with that pop sensibility and um yeah again that that opening track i get up yeah. i think it's really do you great. feel loved is really good uh is it real i can hardly speak is it is real, it is, real? Yeah, yeah is it real is uh, another uh, good one uh. yeah it's very catchy very good album uh 
Jack Steadman. By the way, Jack, I bought one of your. I bought a, an album vinyl bundle, and when I got it, it only came with half the album. So I just want to let you know. I'm well, hurt. one one whole record, yeah. not half a record. Well, I well I got. It's it wasn't supposed to cut come in with half. Two, it's supposed to come with sides A, B, C, and D. Right. And I only got C and D. Mm. Oh, so I, you don't want that. Yeah. So I only got the second half. Damn. But, uh, so you haven't even heard the album. <laughs> <laughs> How could you possibly listen to it if you don't have the vinyl? <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, yeah. So Bombay Basketball Club. Everything else has gone wrong. Definitely worth a listen. One more thing. Rex, Orange County, came out with an album last year. Yeah. It was a good album. I enjoyed it. I will give him that. But I just saw him live on Valentine's Day. Um, holy shit. There were so many kids. Yeah. I mean, 18-year-olds. Yeah, TikTok kids. S- yeah. Sold out show. Rex it is was, a TikTok all-star. I'll I tell you right now. I did not know that because yeah. I don't go on TikTok. I, I mean, think about what he is, you know, it's like it's modern pop, but it's emo and it's also not quite on the radio. So it's not like it's lame. Like it's perfect for my, teenagers. My sister's 20 and she loves. Yeah, Rex it's, it's like County. it's just yeah. like fun melodrama music. It makes you so know? much sense it, now. Yeah. Um, I've seen him live, actually. Uh, at it was a, probably better back then. Well, it was it was a, like maybe a year and a half ago at a festival and he did not seem like he wanted to be there. <laughs> was it like super hot oh. early in the day? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> what, you think he doesn't like being outside? That pale ass so little it, British boy? Was it heavy new album? or It was, was very he... heavy new album. Yeah. Honestly, the stage production was awesome. He had a backing what band. What venue? It was the House of Blues. Okay. When the House pretty, of Blues yeah. is sold out, I hate the House of Blues. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because you're in the lower level. And not only the, I was on the side because I'm too old for that shit, and I didn't want to deal with all the little <laughs> babies. You know, like they were playing like Lil Uzi Vert beforehand, and everyone was going ape shit. Yeah, I bet. And so I was just like, I'm gonna Let stay me out hang, here, hang back. Yeah. So to put it to perspective, how how young the kids were when they were checking my ID to go in, the bouncer was like, "You are the oldest guy here." <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that bad. And uh, Danny. I went upstairs. I went upstairs to go to the bathroom because, like, my corner has like a really easy route to the bathroom. And there was like a dad sitting on a bench, and he's just like, like he's just like I'm talking head straight in between his legs, and he's just like, "Fuck, get me out of here," you know. At least listen to the album, Dad. Yeah, Come he's, on. he's just chaperoning his kids. Yeah, but his, his daughter's like, "You're gonna wanna be my best friend, baby." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know where you're going, Dad. Yeah, Come on. He should have known. But uh yeah, Rex Orange County, great music, but I'll I will definitely not see you at, at like a, a concert with I a million don't know kids. If I will see you again. Yeah. Mm. Are are we are we ready, fellas? Well, is there another white claw? I might need to crack one open. I was gonna is say, there... go ahead and hand me another one too. I'm, I I'm balls deep. Myself. One white claw Guys on calling it. I call it. Thank you. I was at a uh, coffee shop earlier that really packs the coffee's fat. Drank the whole thing. Came here. If I if I drink coffee alone, I get tremors, much like my father. You put three claws on that. I'm I'm ready to fucking punch you guys. I <laughs> I'm ready to beat the shit. I was somebody. I was feeling a little bit of jitters today. I think I I the caffeine is getting to me. Yeah, no, I get real tremors with caffeine. Same with my dad, but I. It's not worth not I drinking. I drink so much caffeine. Yeah, it's the I only reason I'm here today. So anyway, I literally drink like 40 ounces of coffee. Coffee sucks. <laughs> That's it. But I, I can't only, stop drinking. Well, here's it. the thing. I only drink coffee if they chop down the rainforest to give me yeah, that coffee. Yep. Absolutely. So <laughs> it I'm tastes on, the best. I'm this Child is the last labor. time. Last time I'm going to lay down this ground rule. 
I don't 1000% agree with everything I'm about to say on the side of Danny's argument. So therefore, you guys do not let your own opinions seep into this if they don't support your side. You are you are on the viewpoint of the other side we of this argument. We have to go full like ESPN yes, first take Yeah, on there's this no like, well, you know, I don't agree with this, but no, no. We are fighting right now. It doesn't matter what you think. We I, fight a mag. So <laughs> can I be like the Stephen A and you have to be like the Colin Coward of this situation? Uh, skip, skip. Listen. Listen, skip. <laughs> this episode of We Fought a Mag is brought to you by White Claw. Pop it. Natural lime. It's all that's left. All right, Danny. It's leaking on okay. the microphone. Danny, Should go I, ahead. Yeah, go ahead and drop um, it. Okay. I don't give a fuck about Marvel movies. <laughs> Marvel movies are no. <laughs> Marvel movies are absolute trash. They're they're wait, they're, but are you talk are you talking about Disney's Marvel Studios MCU or whatever like, the fuck yes, you want to? Yes, the, you're talking the like modern like Raimi Spider Man movie, yes. the Feige verse. Yes. Okay. Uh, the movies are repetitive. They're safe bets. They don't take chances. They are the call of duty of movies. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, there's just no good content, okay? The story always goes the same way as follows. They introduce a, a, a hero. They introduce the bad guy. The hero has a cool introduction. The bad guy has, like, a very, like, you know, cool introduction, too. They fight. The good guy wins. Then they fight again. The bad guy wins. And then at the end, the good guy and bad guy fight, and the good guy wins. The only reason Infinity Wars was talked about so much because the good guys don't win. Mm -hmm. I have more, but I'm going to let you guys talk. Well, I, I, I am flabbergasted <laughs> that somebody would not like the biggest movies ever. How is that even possible? I, I, I don't even know. Like, Kevin Feige is a god. He is our daddy, and we stand him and his bald little head. <laughs> How no. dare you, that, sir? He makes I, a good point, Danny. I, <laughs> we'll pause it for a minute so I'm we can. If, we I, if I can, if I can, Danny. Yeah, you are a very dear friend of mine. Okay, Drew, you are also a very dear friend. Yeah, of skip, mine. skip, <laughs> skip. But that take is the worst take that I have ever heard. <laughs> Imagine uh, Stephen A's sound guy on the levels. Like, what the? What do I do? Um, I. So I understand where you're coming from, but that's like saying that you don't. So you just don't like any blockbuster movies. Then you don't like movies that make money for studios because movies like that have to exist. Not every movie is going to be Denis Villeneuve's enemy. Exactly. Okay? So you're a big. You're a big fan of cerebral cinema. You really want to be challenged. You like, go to movies to be intellectually what you, what you stimulated. Just, what you just described, that's also like that Star Wars, that's every Western movie, that's every movie that's ever made money well, in the history of Hollywood. You know how I feel that. about Star Wars. <laughs> here's Drew, you are a very dear friend of mine. Here's, here's, I've been to your house multiple times. I have, I have carried your children in my bare arms to work. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something. Work. Now you're, you so now you're doing. Why did you take? Yeah, first of all, you work for Child Protective Services. <laughs> you're literally saying that I'm a bad father to kids. I, I don't have. have Leave that out now. I can't now, have skip, my. You know I'm not a father. I cannot have my job disclosed on this podcast. Here is here is a further point. These movies, Marvel movies in the MCU at large, are predominantly white. They are predominantly heteronormative. They fetishize the use of justified violence. You know what these movies are? The fucking cops. 
These movies are the police. These movies are Joe Biden. Well, well these yeah. movies are everything that Alan Moore warned us about with so, Watchmen. So that's why. So you also don't like Quentin Tarantino movies, then? No. If so you have a problem you, with fetishized violence, then you don't like Quentin would Tarantino. Would you rather movies. the movies be more violent so that it's not as fetishized? They so fetishize justified violence. Quentin Tarantino does not fetishize justified. He just fetishizes violence at large, which is fine. Uh, no, have you seen Kill Bill? It's quote unquote justified violence, but it also includes these movies mowing have down to, hundreds of people. These movies have to appeal to every possible age group, every possible demographic. They have to be watered down in order to maximize yeah. the return on the it's product. Yeah, but it's cookie cutter dog shit, though. That's, but that, that, but, that's the problem. But granted that they are cookie cutter, it's actually a miracle that they're even good. Okay, take, so, take, so, take away the first of like a lot of movies. Iron Man 1, it was really awesome to watch. Captain America, the first one, it was pretty good. But now, every every other movie that you find that's like two, three, four, it's on repeat. It's the same fucking story. The villains are always a copy of the hero. The villains Our, do suck you. Iron Man 1 is literally another Iron Man. Hulk, abomination, literally another Hulk. Ant-Man versus another Ant-Man. Spider-Man fights Venom. Age of Ultron, they fight Tony Stark's AI and his suits. So... I, I see where you're coming from, but here's the ultimate counter to that. The the other side of that, because guess what? They're going to make movies that make money regardless. Okay, Either I way, get that. That's going to happen. Yeah. The other side of that coin is the DC Extended Universe. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when you try to take bold risk and try to do different things with the franchise is it is a fucking disaster. I don't and think, guess what? DC is so. now starting Not to be... Not a complete disaster, though. DC is starting to be successful because they're starting... Like, the best DCEU movie that they made was Shazam, which is pretty much a Marvel movie. I don't think that you have to make dog shit if you want to take risks, though. That's not true. It's That's not a dog false shit, though. It, but, yo, you're saying cookie cutter. There's a difference between cookie cutter and dog shit. No, cookie well, cutter is I, just safe. Well, I'm saying, saying that cutter, the DC universe isn't the, the grand template for not doing marvel that you know you could make good hero movies that aren't all the same give me a good counter franchise then why we're not talking about other franchises no because we're well, talking when, what is the alternative talking, you can't just shit on it and then just not give an alternative when you're talking about movies that are based on established properties and that have a guaranteed intellectual property success and that have an established audience and that have a um future outline of future releases that are planned there's no other movie franchise that is as consistent as the marvel studio well then movies. call me crazy but what if we didn't make these fucking movies anymore here's another point this is a very small truncated list of filmmakers who have given years of their life to making Marvel movies, and I would give anything for them to not have made a single Marvel movie. And work on something else. John Favreau, make something else. Taika Waititi, Chef. make another fucking movie. Thor Ragnarok, good for Marvel. I, probably his worst movie, in my opinion. I like every movie he's made other than Thor Ragnarok, because it's not tied to a fucking property. Ryan Coogler made better shit. John Francis Daly made better shit. Chris McKenna made infinitely better shit, and he's stuck being the second writer of half of these movies. What if he just wrote a movie? Wouldn't that be cool? So but here's the problem with what you're saying, is that you, if we got rid of Marvel movies, then that would literally be the death of Hollywood. No. Like, studios really. would not make money. 
Like that's that's so box office is doing okay. It box office is already down. Box office is doing okay because there's five big pushes every year from big IP, three of which are usually Marvel movies. That well, is what's helping not Hollywood true. and helping theaters. I'm not saying Hollywood would die. Hollywood ha- would have uh, probably a lot more movies like Knives Out. But okay, so Knives Out is a good that's a good exception to this. But more and more people that are making kind of more indie or original ideas are going to a place like Netflix or a place like Amazon or something like that where it's straight to home because people would rather stay at home to watch original things. People want to go out to the theater to see the new Marvel movie. Yeah. That's what gets butts in seats. And that absolutely is a justification for why they're not that good. But it's not saying that they're good. You're saying like they have to. It has to, to be mass appeal yeah. in order yeah, to Yeah, you're get saying that. they, yeah, listen, every reason they're bad, it has to be that bad for that reason that doesn't well, matter we're just saying they're bad well, like it's not it does, doesn't matter if there's reasons they're I still don't, not I, that so good to put into perspective marvel movies are music festivals that have people like post malone at them okay <laughs> don't you dare don't you fucking dare you really hit him hard with that one exactly <laughs> that's what it is it appeals to i mean i love posty as a person awesome <laughs> yeah cool but guy. This this is just a mass appeal affair, okay? I like personally I would love if those directors worked on something else. Okay? First of all, you're being disrespectful to Kevin Feige's face tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, he should be in public more with those. And second of all, these movies are they're safe because their floor is high and their ceiling is low. That's the thing is like they're always hitting that sweet spot of just good. They never sink to a level of abysmal like we've seen from other franchises. Like we're not here talking about fucking fantastic beats and where to find them because we all know that that's That's our favorite movie. What? Oh, (laughs) no, we don't like it. And we're not here talking about Paul Thomas Anderson because we know that that's like high art. We're talking about like very safe consistent down the middle shit and it never sinks to a lower level but every once in a while you get something that peaks up a little bit it 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 kind of reaches a little bit of a higher past the ceiling it's never going to be truly transcendental but there are opportunities and there are people that try to give it that little oomph and that what that is depends on what you gravitate more towards. I know some people really, really love Black Panther and what that meant for culture and for representation and and for, for black culture and all of that. I personally loved Avengers Endgame because that really landed on a finality, mortal, conclusion level, the emotional stakes of the entire thing. So there are going to be times where it does feel like a little bit of sameness, a little bit of monotony, but then it all pays off. The fact that it's one consistent through line, one story with consistent characters, you get these moments of like, damn, there's nothing else like this. Nobody else is doing it So you're talking about consistency, but the thing is, they're not consistent with the comic books. They're consistent with the random story that all these people fucking thought about. Okay, They don't have the rights to most of the comics. In the comics, the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Fantastic Four all fought Thanos in a ridiculous battle and lost. They, Thanos smoked them and deleted the universe. It wasn't Half the universe. Yeah, whatever. But 
he basically just smoked him and like that was the end. They lose and I think what was it's some- well so that's in one that's in the Infinity Saga. But the thing is with comics is that they're constantly rebooting themselves, especially with the X Men. Whenever that's going to come into everything, is that like? Do you have any idea how many like how many times Wolverine has died in X Men comics? And then they're like, sweet, a new run of comics we can bring back Wolverine. Like, so they're doing the same thing. They're just doing one run of these movies, but. So the alternative, if we don't have somebody like Kevin Feige running the show, is look at the other big Disney Temple franchise. It's Star Wars. Kathleen Kennedy tried to let people be more creative. And I will say, I think that Star Wars The Last Jedi is probably better than any Marvel movie that I've seen. But I also think that The Rise of Skywalker might be worse than just about any other Marvel movie that I've ever seen. Oh, that doesn't that we're easily. Going, we're going for, it is, it's like you said, that like the floor is a six and the ceiling is like an eight and a half. Like that's that's where we are, but we will never reach well, below okay. a five. So the what, problem for both of these examples that you're giving is you're not seeing outside the framework of what if these both didn't exist? Then the franchises problem. would like the movie studio would be dead. Well, when they spend time making these movies, they don't spend time making good movies, right? So what well, do you, they also what do you, don't spend time fucking saving climate change for all that. <laughs> like, and, and why not, Ernest? Okay. That's our argument. What? Do, so why what aren't do you, they saving climate change? What do you think is the lowest cinema score a Marvel movie has ever gotten? Like B out of, plus. Oh, cinema score? Yeah, probably like a B. B plus is B the plus, lowest fucking yeah. score. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're massive. I know, but those well, also, early Thor movies sucked. Also, shit. Also, the lowest movies. one was the first Thor. Yeah. Cinema plus. score is but they're cinema better, score is terrible. But they're <laughs> better. Even the the worst Thor movie is better than like fucking Batman versus Superman. That's what I'm trying to so say. So you're saying that's what I'm saying. The framework of your argument is the only other option is DC. And no, no, no. Star I'm talking Wars. about big IP. I know. Uh, but that's not true. There could be just because it doesn't exist doesn't mean that it's impossible to make better than this. So okay, we, we shouldn't be cheering for sevens. We should here's, be. Okay. We should be. Well, here's the thing. asking for nine. Here's the thing. IP will all. IP has always existed. This isn't a twenty first century thing. If you look back at movies, I am trying to do a watch through of every Oscar movie this year of every movie that's ever won Best Picture. Most of the movies are adapted screenplays. They're all adapted from books or Broadway musicals. Yeah. IP will always exist. Yeah, and it could be better. Okay, but these, well, like, look at, okay, so another, like, I giant IP is the Stephen King IP. We have two examples that came out last year. We had Pet Cemetery, which is a terrible movie, a really bad movie to what is a good book. Or we had Dr. Sleep, which for all accounts is a pretty good movie, and it made no money. Yeah, so what we are cheering about is that they figured out how to make solid movies right we're cheering that hollywood's here's, making money you here, know the, here's the other here's the thing yeah go ahead i see where you're getting at here the potential because i i am a huge comics fan i love the marvel comic books and i will agree that the potential for how great these stories could be realized on the big screen is like nines or tens. Like they have not reached the level of quality that the source material has reached. And if they figure out a way to adapt those stories in a much more 
I, I don't want to say authentic, but like, I guess more true to the heart way, then we'll get those nines and those tens. But they needed the time to prove that the masses would come out in droves so, for these things. According to that to theory, then, off. they're about to be nines and tens because they've proven it long ago. I think so. So you I think, think that they're definitely well. Get they're about a lot to get better. really weird. I mean, fuck the Eternals is coming out, and that that is a weird line of comics. Like that is super. And, and think out about there. the Disney Plus aspect. The fact that like they can WandaVision. pour all of the money that they fucking want to into creative weird ideas that have no holds or barriers to the box office model. They can go all in on crazy, weird comic book shit. So if that is all really great, you'll say that we've been the 10 years that we've been watching like, OK, movies is all worth it. I don't think they're, they're OK. I think some of them are OK, but most of them, if you average them out, the average is better than Star Wars or Harry Potter or any of these other big franchises. They're pretty. Some of them are bad movies. I'm willing to say that. Uh, but point. earlier on, I think that. The whole like phase three, really phase two into phase three of Marvel has been at least good to really good on average. I do not think that Kevin Feige made these movies so that eventually he could make better movies. I think that that's absurd to think. I think that his goal the entire time has been to make as as good movies as possible. Well, I, and to I think that these movies are about to become like indie legends is insane. I don't. That think is that. not going. No, to I don't. I don't oh, think no. that. At, I'm not saying that. Yeah, at all. I'm saying that, that it'll will... be weirder. Like that they can't take. I mean, it can come down to like, well, in the end, the good guys win. Yeah, that's going to happen with every movie, whether it's IP or not, that good guys are probably going to win. But Infinity War and Endgame are both big risks. Those are, especially Infinity War, it's like it ends and they don't win. That's a risk in itself. And then Endgame, think at the scale to have to have 20 movies come together in one conclusion and it even be slightly cohesive yeah. is one of the greatest victories in franchise history. Yeah, so the bar is automatically lower because the difficulty level is higher. I don't think it's automatically lower, but I do think that a degree of difficulty is a big factor. Yeah, it is a big factor in justifying why it didn't make any of our lists for best movies of the year. I give it a shout out. Yeah, a shout out. The, we like it did make a lot of people's list for the best ten yeah, of the year. And, I will say, and good for um, you know Roger Ebert's like daughter, whoever would do such a thing. <laughs> That's an insane thing to do because there are s infinite movies that are just better. And I want to say Roger Ebert's daughter is probably like in her forties at this point because I, oh yeah, so Raj is an old dude. She's like so. a senior citizen, yeah. definitely. The basically, I think the the argument for Marvel movies, like the logical one, the smart one that you guys are making, is that the most impressive part about them is that they have mechanized this process to make these movies. They have made a fail safe system where every movie is guaranteed to succeed. So, Guardians of the Galaxy was the proof of that, and nobody knew what that was, but they put that little Marvel logo on it. Yeah, boom. You got yourself a hit. Throw exactly. a little Chris Pratt and you're done. Yeah. So these are essentially movies for people who think that the best car ever is the Model T. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I think that that's like saying like I Jeez. if we're going to go with the car. <laughs> there's a lot of problems with this here because that's like walking into like your your Honda dealership and just being like, 
I want you to give me, just go crazy with it. It might explode whenever I turn the ignition on, <laughs> or it might be the greatest car ever. That's what you're saying. No, so the car analogy I, is not the no, one No, it's more go about for. the aesthetic, though, because it's about saying, hey, I made this car that is just infinitely better than a Model T, but some people just absolutely hate it. It's like, I don't give a fuck about those Some people. Some people just want to drive a Civic. I mean, that's like driving yeah. like a box car. Like, the person who made that was like, well, this is going to be either a three for looks or a ten. It might revolutionize these, everything. These and are, guess what? It's not good. These are movies for people who prefer Chips Ahoy to homemade chocolate chip cookies. These are, these are movies for people who want what they know. No, Well, that's the better analogy Yikes. is like, it's... It, like Chips Ahoy to homemade cookies, so but you're gonna also make your the salt own... and the sugar are completely unlabeled and they're sitting next to you're each gonna other. You're going to make your own Marvel movie at home and it might be better? No, but movie in general. I don't. The thing is, why? Like, I never asked for movies that cost a billion dollars to make and I never liked them as much as movies that cost two million dollars to make. It's, it's like... It's if like Chips Ahoy hired all of the world's greatest chefs and took them away from the recipes they were making for like two years at a time to make a cookie that like everyone will think is pretty good. That every it's that always the same sucks, amount of sugar. Dude. It's always the same amount that of that absolute chips. that idea absolutely sucks. I want my creators to be free, and the problem is that Disney can offer them a check that no one else can, and that's great. Writers, but producers, the best director that everybody. they ever hired to direct one of their movies was promptly fired because he tried to make a movie that was too good. It was Edgar Wright. So yeah. I I well, also he also was making that movie before they actually figured out what the intricacies of the interconnected storytelling would be. Yeah, he was kind of off in his own corner. AKA they were saying, "Hey, listen, you're gonna need to put a little more sugar in here." We we focus grouped it, and like seventy percent of people like ten grams of sugar per cookie. And he was like, "No, I'm a chef. This isn't about like a a, a process. This is about my art." And they said, "You're fired." I, I don't think that it's an end-all, be-all. Like, you guys are saying, like, it's either this or this. I think that you could make Marvel movies. I think that Coogler will probably... He's not even making Black Panther 2 for another, until 2022 Something like or that. so. Yeah. So he's probably going to make another movie in the next year or so. And if not, then he's at least at home writing for other scripts and everything and getting that worked out. Guess what? Ryan Johnson worked on Knives Out all during the making of Star Wars. Like, it's not just a one or the and other. And before. And Ryan, Knives Out would not have gotten made unless he made a huge financial exactly. success. Because yeah. movies like that, specifically mid-budget original idea movies, we're talking yeah. movies made for 20 to $50 million, yeah. don't get made anymore. Because there are too many made. giant IP movies no, replacing them but it's in unless, the market. But it is unless you are a name. And Ryan but, Johnson was not a name before But it's Star better Wars. for something like Knives Out, it's better for that particular movie to be shown in a theater with a traditional release than to just get dumped on Netflix. Which is what would have happened if he wasn't a person. Exactly. Here's my closing argument, because we got to wrap it up. I had a significant emotional reaction to Avengers Endgame. I literally shed tears for these quote-unquote product cookie-cutter shit characters I connected with the story and the finality and the end and conclusion of this story. That is an achievement. To give us a 20-plus movie arc for these characters and have it end on a si significant 
satisfying no is something that nobody has ever even come close to achieving before. And I will, I will seed that there were some stumbles along the way and that it wasn't a perfect track record for sure. But nobody has ever attempted or even come close to achieving what they did with that movie. And even the movie itself has its issues and its own formulaic shortcomings. But no other movie last year hit me on a deep, deep emotional level that had been building up for a decade and had such a clear, precise, calculated, and just perfect payoff. That's what that was. I I agree with everything that you just said, Ernest. And one other thing to piggyback off of that is not even coming close to having running a franchise like that. Most creators fail to even make a trilogy that lives up to this. I mean, I just watched this past week rewatch The Godfather. Godfather 1 and 2 are probably two of the greatest movies to ever be made. Once again, based on IP. Um, but they weren't done after chap- after part two. They made a part three, and it's kind of just a whatever movie. Like, if not even Francis Ford Coppola, arguably one of the greatest filmmakers in history, couldn't do that, you have to appreciate the work and the genius that went into making a Marvel movie that spanned 20-plus movies that comes together in such a satisfying conclusion and is consistent along the way, for the most part. I would say, to me, genuinely, I don't think it's consistent. I think there have been a lot of, I wouldn't even call them stumbles. I would call them movies that wasted my time, and I wish that I had not seen them. There are plenty of those. And there are plenty of good movies that they made, absolutely. There are movies that have hit me. Uh, But I would say that there actually have been a lot of creators who have uh, given such an incredible tear-jerking emotional payoff after that many hours, and it's called TV Makers. They are, this has happened millions of times before. We're just impressed because they did it at the movies. Like, I've seen TV shows that have made me cry after 40 hours because if you know anyone for 40 hours, you're mad when, or sad when they die. That's just called uh, emotions. Like, you, we were uh, affected because we knew these people. Uh, I think the more impressive thing is making a movie that makes you cry within two hours. And you're not going to find that in Marvel. Absolutely not. Well, I cried. I a cried little at D.H. Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> Captain Marvel. To be fair. I cried a little I bit at I am Groot. Oh fuck! Wait, wait. When we are we are Groot. We are Groot. That was great. When was that? The, the first, first Guardians. The first mm. Guardians. When he envelops them and yep. he saves everybody, but he sacrifices himself. See, I don't even. That was fucking good. I just I feel like there's something to the fact that the specifics of these movies do not stick with me unless I watch them multiple times. It seems. It's it feels like eating candy and the candy can be like like an Oreo, like really well crafted and you appreciate it. But eventually you just get a stomach ache and you'd rather like have some fucking vegetables. I love vegetables. <laughs> you, you hate vegetables. <laughs> Final thoughts, Danny. We got to wrap it up. I mean, I just think these movies are just wasting way too much money. And I get they make more money. It's just you got to think about it. the actors, the producers, the directors, all the all the uh, writers, all those people 
are wasting their time doing this when they can be doing a bunch of cooler shit yeah. for everybody that's much the more... Earth, I mean, we could have gotten Robert Downey We could have gotten Doolittle years ago if it wasn't for him being involved in Iron Man. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I mean... Thank I, you, Hunter. <laughs> that's a creator taking a risk. It's just your, your whole argument was based case. off them making money, which is the people that fill the butts in seats are families, right? So mom and dad and the kids can all relate to a movie like this. But what about everybody else? I yeah. think, yeah, I, the, my argument boils down to, because I, I disagree with a lot of what I have said during this, but <laughs> I genuinely think that if Marvel were to end with Endgame, which would have been lovely, I was, you know, I obviously knew that wasn't going to happen, but watching that movie, I was like, wouldn't this be great if it was just over? I think that if Marvel were to have ended then and released everyone that they were employing from their contracts, it would be a net positive for what we would get to watch. I'm not saying for the industry, for what we would get to absorb, the, the net would be positive. I think that the amount of A-plus talent they are taking to make 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10 movies, I don't like that. I, I want A talent to make A movies. And A talent is making B-level movies right now. I mean, now. to that point, I, I think the the double-sided sword is that it's the source material. The comics are never-ending. The comics will never end. Also, some of the biggest names in Marvel did drop out after. Like, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans can go just, oh, like, yeah. do their Well, the things. thing is, we live in a Give society a now where, like, two. you know beforehand going into a movie if it's going to be shit or not, so you can just ignore all the bad stuff that all of these, like, thousands of people make and just watch what's good, and it will be better than Marvel movies. You know what I mean? If like I would rather watch Knives Out than any single Marvel movie personally. I know that like you guys can disagree with that absolutely, but I just I think that there is I just don't think Knives Out ever gets made if it's not if or it does get made but with a lower tier cast. Lower tier Netflix. cast and it just goes straight to yeah, Netflix. Yeah, so that is essentially you, it comes out and pe- there's a little bit of like man, that was a fun little like who done it and then it nobody talks about. It, it never gets nominated for an Oscar. It well, the reason anything. that it would be completely obfuscated from public view is because of the way that uh, these types of movies are dominating right now. So if they were not dominating, then what would? Knives Out would because it's starring a bunch of A-listers. You're, the argument there is basically saying, hey, Jeff Bezos donated a like, couple million to help the wildfires. So actually, we need billionaires. You know it's what like, else? No, we don't. What if we just all had some money to donate to wildfires? It would be way more than a couple mil. Well, I mean... I don't want to go on about this because I know that we're probably like at the two-hour mark at this point. Getting there. Yeah, All right, we'll I, claim the win. Okay, we're cool. Thanks. Tame, Tame Impala <laughs> is a bad band. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, because the, 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 really it would have just been like the old guard would just continue making movies. We would get Spielberg would make more movies like Ready Player One because people are going to go to see – no, but people are going to go to see big names, and names are now established through Marvel movies. I don't think there are Most any, people there are no names in Ready Player One except Spielberg, and he wouldn't but that's make it. that without It's from the Marvel. visionary. It's from the cinematic. Wait, I have visionary. one final thing to end on. So this year, 2020, is the first year in a while that there's no big Star Wars movie and no big Marvel movie on the docket. Thank I'm we so got. I'm really excited. We Let's got, see how the box office does this exactly, year. Exactly. That's going to dip. So you guys are thinking uh, money. You're thinking business. That's my question. So the only Marvel movies we got on the docket are Black Widow and Eternals. Do Are you willing to bet right now that one of those two movies will be the highest grossing movie of the year? Yeah, and congrats to money. If you're on the side of money, then you'd absolutely win. I am. I think that Bezos <laughs> is in the right here. Yeah, I think or, you should not... 
pay taxes. If you're on the side of good movies, then you lose. Or are you willing to bet that there's going to be that this is the year where something else sneaks in there? No, of course not. We live in a society that is desensitized to the movie going experience because they expect the universe at stake. And the only but, way you can put the universe at stake is with $100 million but to make a movie. Knives Out made $300 million at the Globe Box. Yeah, office. and that was a fucking Parasite shock. Made, made $200 million. Yeah, that's great. We Little should... Women made. I think $300 million. That's awesome. You're saying good things about movies that are way better than any Marvel movie. Little Women is an IP, by the way, and it has been made into a movie like eight different times. Yes, and guess what? It's better than Marvel movies. The okay, argument is our Marvel it's movies still... are bad. We're not talking about IP is bad. We're yeah. saying Marvel movies don't need to exist. No, yeah. the argument was not Marvel movies are bad. The argument was Danny does not give a fuck <laughs> about Marvel movies. I'm I mean, saying Marvel true. movies. I have still don't to give exist. a fuck, so we win, right? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I guess, I guess Danny is the judge. <laughs> All right, we got to. Is the gotta, argument closed? Yeah. Uh, this this is an open argument, so listeners weigh in on Twitter. Yeah, the one guy in uh, Oklahoma. Where is that guy from? Our one Texas? listener. Texas. Hey, weigh in. Louisiana. Weigh in. Um, Kansas, Midwest. Somewhere in America. Let us know your takes on. This uh, mystery hot take that Danny has dropped on us. The argument still stands. Do you give a fuck about Marvel movies? And if so, why? At We Bought a Mic on Twitter. Really, why? I wish and Todd Phillips had made every Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a, a We do live in a society. You did say that multiple times. You were just quoting Joker. We need a dark, twisted take on Thanos. You know, mm. what really, what really makes him tick? Inevitable. What 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 you know brings what? him into this world? I think he has depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a little wiener. <laughs> Whoa! I want to see that movie. This is the new take. Thanos right. has a little dick. <laughs> Forget all the memes you saw. I'm ready to yeah. pivot. <laughs> Were there Let, memes about him having a giant hog? Yeah. Uh, well, explicit memes. Not safe for work. On like <laughs> on like deviantart.com. <laughs> Very. Thick, veiny <laughs> memes. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. We gotta go. <laughs> um, right. we'll thanks. See you soon. Getting horny. <laughs> thanks, Sandy, for coming on. We got you for another one, so don't move. I won't. And uh, hit us up online at We Bought a Mic on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We love you. Bye bye. I'm kind of on your side here.